Welcome to the Creators on Comics podcast. This podcast is a conversation between two creators, dissecting the craft and technique that goes into creating comics. This episode features Ricky Lima and John Ward, two Canadians who were both nominated for Favorite Writer at the Sequential Magazine Awards. Ricky is the writer of Undergrowth, a deeply human story about giant robots and mental health. John is the writer of A Causal, a grounded sci-fi about a misfit team of cops and criminals who receive messages from the future. Hey, I'm, uh, I'm Ricky Lima, and I'm here to talk about a book called Undergrowth. It's about these youths, I like to call them, who uh, one night get caught up in an invasion of giant robots coming to their planet, um, and then they get killed and brought back to life by the spirit of the planet who gives them these ancient tree-like mechs to fight back against the invaders. So very topical for today, I guess. <laughs> uh, thanks, Ricky. Uh, and I'm John Ward, and I, uh, I may sound English, but I'm, uh, I'm actually now Canadian, and I'm uh, based in Vancouver, BC. And I'm here to talk about uh, a book that I've got coming out uh, called A Causal, uh, which you know is a kind of sci-fi crime book that we'll probably dig into a little more, bit more uh, as we go through this conversation. Uh, but Ricky, uh, thanks for uh, letting me read your book. Uh, I, I have to say, like, uh, congratulations! Like, it's a great, it's a great book. I really, really enjoyed wow. the series. Man, um, thank you, thank you. Yeah, it, it was, it's really great. Um, you know, the cliffhangers in this book were just, uh, just phenomenal. Kind of like really sort of like uh, really pulls you through as a, oh, as man, a reader. Yeah. Uh, so I love that. And, I, and you talked a little bit about what, the, what that is about. You gave us that kind of high level pitch, which I really appreciated. Um, uh, but can you sort of dig into a little bit more about sort of like, you know, it is, it is quite topical, uh, touches a lot of different um, facets uh, that I found re- really interesting. But what inspired you to write this book? Um, I, I, and why did you choose to make it like now, I guess? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I started writing it in 2018. And uh, I was commuting to work and I was like, man, I need to like do something on my commute. So I started watching uh, Evangelion, the Neon Genesis Evangelion and uh, the original 1978 uh, Gundam series. And I was like, I was blown away by like how much, how much trauma these kids are going through. I was like, what the hell? Like, I never realized realized that the the mech genre was basically just like beating up kids. And I was like, man, that's crazy. So um, I was like, I was really into these mechs and I was like, how would I write my own next story? And then I was trying to think of like ways to make it interesting. Um, and then that's when like, you know, the, the kids dying came about and I was like, yeah, that's pretty cool. And then I was thinking of like ways to make the mechs interesting. And I was like, oh, what if they're like trees? So then, you know, that started to, to form there. And then everything else kind of just came from that, you know? So my, um, my desire to like torture these these youths were was really was really what came about and then as I was writing you know like a lot of things a lot of themes started to develop as I was like developing the story and then that's when that's when like the real story started to develop in my head and then you know it became it became what it is now so I was pretty pretty happy with that um how about you like what what inspired you uh for a cause uh that's a good question um so, I mean, a bunch of things kind of uh, inspired me to write my book. Um, I, I think the primary one is kind of like a nightmare that I had as a kid. Like I was kind of, um, I did have this kind of recurring dream about um, being like in a house, like on my own. And I kind of, I would, I'd, you know, I'd get up, I'd hear a ringing sort of you know, phone ringing. It's like kind of like one of those kind of like old rotary phones. Mm, yeah. um, 
so I'd answer it and it would always be me, like the adult version of me Weird. talking to myself yeah, as a kid. But similar to you in the kind of the torturing youth kind <laughs> of uh, vein, like this adult version of me would like tell me just horrible, horrible stuff. Like it would just basically you know, say like, oh, you're going to be a failure. You're like, you know, all your family's going to die. Like all of these kind of you know, really, yeah, it was, it was really twisted. I, I think that says a lot about me uh, psychologically to have like, <laughs> have that kind of experience kind of um, but there, but it's, it, it was something that kind of stuck with me. I mean, obviously like I, I, I knew those kind of voices were just kind of um, the negative kind of things that we all sort of deal with as kids mm -hmm. and kind of uh, how we see ourselves. So I was able to kind of process that and kind of deal with it. But the idea of kind of like this kind of message, like, you know, it was there from a young age that I had. And of course, you know, a bunch of other like TV and film kind of explored this like in great detail. Um, but that was kind of the genesis of kind of having this kind of like messages coming back through time to mm. kind of like people receiving messages. And then I was kind of thinking about like, well, if you know the future, you kind of, you know, you have this kind of like um, the ethical kind of question around, you know, uh, or moral question, I guess, is kind of, um, you know, do you have free will? Are things predetermined? Um, and I just kind of wanted to explore some of the the, 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 the nuances of that. Because sometimes if you're doing stuff like, uh, it's not always good stuff, right? Like that's the thing. In, in TV, it's always kind of like, you know, Quantum Leap was always kind of like Sam Beckett. It's kind of like trying to make the world right, a better place yeah. by doing stuff. But sometimes I was questioning like whether like he needed to do more dark stuff. Sometimes you have to do bad things in order for good things to happen. Mm -hmm. So I kind of, that's got, was really the genesis of my story was kind of asking that question, like, you know, doing bad stuff to make good things happen in the future. How do you feel about that? Like, how do you live with that? Um, and so I tried to uh, explore that a, a, a little bit, but uh, but that's that's kind of where it came from. But so, then, uh, oh, sorry. sorry. No, I was going to ask, like, if you listen to yourself, like a voice recording of yourself, does it bring you back to those nightmares? Like, <laughs> in your dreams, <laughs> does it sound like your adult self now? Or was it like totally uh, uh, it, it sounded totally different. I oh, mean, okay. like, listening, to, I was saying, listening, I mean, I had a podcast uh, a couple of years ago, so listening to my own voice kind of gives me nightmares now. Oh, no. Uh, because I don't really have a good voice for radio. Um, but yeah, it doesn't, it, it's, it's a very, it wasn't really me. Like, it, it was kind of, I had to mm. think, your dreams are kind of weird and they, they change and kind of, they, they, they're kind of like amorphous. So I knew at the time when I was a kid that it was me, but the voice wasn't me at all as an adult. It was somebody completely different. So it's, uh, it's like a very strange thing that happened. Um, I kind of wanted to bounce from that, though, in terms of like uh, what you what you did with your creation, because I had my idea for a book and I tried to soft pitch it to a couple of places and it didn't go anywhere, which is kind of then why I kind of wanted to kind of I wanted to make it anyway and kind of knew that I was going to do that. So for yourself with with undergrowth, was this something that you tried taking out or just was this something that you always knew that you were going to make yourself? Um, yeah, like I, I love making books, like just physically making books. So um, it never really crossed my mind when I was starting to, uh, to approach a publisher with it, um, because I was like, oh, I just love making books. So why don't I just do it? Um, so so as it was going, it was, that's all I was doing was just focusing on the self publishing. And then when uh, we were about two, two or three issues in, and then COVID happened. And I was like, you know, like, diamonds closed you know books are not being <laughs> yeah. published and I was like no one's gonna pick this up now so so then I just continued doing the self-publishing without even thinking about anything else and then I was in a really good spot um, because ironically because of COVID I was in a good spot financially where I didn't feel like I needed to uh, crowdfund it anymore 
uh, because of, like some of my other projects were crowdfunded. So I was comfortable just to, to make it without any pressure. Um, so that felt really good. And, um, and then, yeah. And then, and then once it was done, I had people who were like, you know, this is, this is pretty good, man. Like you should start pitching it. So, um, so I, I started pitching it and like, I don't want to say anything now, but maybe there's some exciting things happening in the future. <laughs> but, uh, well, well, fingers crossed. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, and hopefully it will, because I, I think it's, you know, it, it is eight issues, uh, you know, and they're big issues too. So like, uh, there's a huge story there. And I think you could like, got to do it like as a serial, uh, serialization or, or, or as a big, like a big trade, which would be great. Yeah. But I'm pretty, you know, I think it's good. I think it's a, a great sort of story that you can get out there for sure. Did you think it was too long? Eight issues, and they're like some of them are like sixty pages long. Like it's pretty long. And did, were you like, man, this, this is going on for too much? No, no. It's uh, <laughs> a great question. Um, no is my short answer because I kind of felt that like, there wasn't any waste in the story, right? Mm-hmm. So like you weren't, you weren't, you know, you read some stories and it's kind of like twenty-four pages. Oh my god, they could have told this story <laughs> in two, right? Like, yeah. uh, but you. The, your book kind of like it kind of gives you it unspools this world and that's one of the things I kind of really liked about it kind of as I'm as I'm immersing myself in this 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 world you know your first issue is kind of interesting bringing these kids back from the dead and then the second issue is kind of like you know as you say like uh, you provide a commentary in the back of each issue which is which is fabulous for those who uh, haven't yet read it and I think you should you should read it but issue two is kind of always a tricky one and like I think you do a really good job of kind of like connecting us like you know emotionally uh with the two sort of lead characters you know uh, red and bloom there so that's the kind of you set us up for this as you kind of go on this kind of like uh the dynamic kind of uh giant robot kind of conflict but also this kind of like this emotional kind of conflict that the, the teens are having and so I didn't feel it was really long you know what I mean it's kind of like you're reading it and like the art kind of like especially with the dynamic kind of fight sequences, like they just pull you through really, really quickly through the story. So it doesn't feel like, oh my God, like, is this, is this ever going to end? <laughs> it, it felt like it was, it felt like it was the right amount of time. And then also you kind of, you start to build the world out. Like, so when we kind of start getting later on, like the flashback of kind of the creator and this whole, mm-hmm. whole other story, this you know, sad, sad story of the creator that kind of is, is, is also in there. It's really relevant to everything that's going on. It's not a diversion. It doesn't feel like it's like extraneous. It kind of feels like it's really important to know. Um, and so I'm kind of surprised that you're able to tell such a, a, a complicated, uh, yet yeah, simple story in some ways, but like a complicated sort of dynamic in such a big world in only eight issues. You know what oh, I mean? Because yeah. you could keep building this out forever. <laughs> oh, well, hey, maybe. But yeah, like I think originally it was like four issues. And as I was writing, I was like, oh my God, there's no way I can do this in four issues. So I had to expand yeah. it. But so with, with your book, how do you go about pacing uh, like each issue? Um, like, do you envision it to be like a serialized thing or did you envision it as like a graphic novel? Like, how are you pacing it out? Uh, for me, um, my, this is basically meant to just be a free issue kind of story. Oh, okay. um, so I've kind of... Before I started writing, I kind of uh, outlined what these kind of three chapters were going to be and what they were going to look like. And I basically identified kind of the start and end of each kind of issue. So I'm kind of always kind of working backwards. That's kind of how I approach it. I kind of know where I'm going to end up. So I kind of work backwards. And sometimes that means that like I need more pages. So, for example, like issue two, which is going to come out soon, ended up being like 30 
pages, mm -hmm. which is kind of much much longer than like issue issue one, which is only about twenty four, just because I kind of needed to kind of set set that ending up, so it kind of feels that like you've earned it. Uh, so that's kind of like how how my approach is kind of like that. But in terms of like the individual kind of issues, once I've kind of sort of started working backwards, I kind of get my sort of main like character movements. And I kind of, you know, that's like maybe every three or four pages, I've got a new character movement. And then it's kind of like, I kind of dive into this sort of like the scene work at that point to kind of sort of get the, get the pacing right. And, and my stories move fast. Like, I think that's, I, I like stories that are slow. Like I like stories that are quick for me. Like I, I felt like with this, it needed to be sort of quick paced. And so I, I think it's kind of maybe, you know, in some, some places it may be too quickly paced, but I kind of tend to kind of write at that sort of breakneck pace where I'm asking a lot of the reader to kind of catch up. And so I, I knew that like, you know, I was going to have that issue where, where I'm trying to tell so much story in such a condensed uh, space that like sometimes you, you end up going a little bit longer in terms of page count. Do you like set up um, like a point form outline before you start writing script? Like how do you write your scripts? Is it like panel one, this happens dialogue or you do it a different way? If we, I mean, I think if we set back to like the outline, I mean, I, I think a lot for my, for my process, a lot of it's done in the outline phase. I kind of, I start with uh, like index cards. Oh. So I'm always kind of like, I start there and I'm kind of focused, you know, as I said, I kind of like no more top and tail of the issue, but I'm trying to always focus on kind of what's the emotional sort of journey of the, mm -hmm. the characters. So I kind of card them out, like into kind of like, you know, it's very simple kind of sentences about what they're going to do. And once I've kind of got the cards is when I start to, you know, move them around. And then I go to like a, uh, a like a document and I'll start bulleting out. What I'll do is I'll kind of put like a, a main bullet for kind of like what that card is, what it says on the card about, oh, this character is feeling this and they want this at this point. And then I'll kind of like go inside that and add like sort of smaller, more detailed bullets. Um, oh. But that's kind of how I build up that outline. Um, what, what about yourself? How, do you do something similar? Or yeah, I do um, a point. So yeah, it's a point form outline of each issue. So, and it's like super basic stuff. Like, you know, they go here, they do this. And then it'll be like, what? And then next bullet point is like, they do this. And then uh, sometimes if like some dialogue uh, things pop into my head, I'll, I'll put that in as well. But then yeah. once that's done, I'll, um, I'll just do panel one, page one, or yeah. page one, panel one, this is what happens. Um, and then I, I like to keep my panel descriptions really vague, uh, just because like when I work with an artist, I really want them to have the freedom to do, you know, the way they envisioned it. Yeah. Um, because like for me comics is like the best because of the collaboration like I love collaborating so much because people bring if you work with good people they bring ideas that you never even thought of and they'll like elevate your work like I, I sometimes I feel like I'm way too hard on myself and I'll write something I'll be like ah, oh, this sucks but then if an artist takes it and draws it I'll be like man this is awesome yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of <laughs> yeah. like it's kind of like they're the buffer that I'm like oh I can finally enjoy my own work you know what I mean so yeah, uh, yeah. so it works out pretty good uh but yeah my writing process like i'd say a script like has you know i don't know very minimal amount of descriptions and stuff and even the outline is very minimal i like to really kind of emphasize the art and stuff like i see some scripts like alan moore scripts and they're just like novels and it's yeah it, to me it's a waste of time you know what i mean like i don't i, I get that you know his panels are intricate or what he's doing is intricate but I don't know. You got to respect your artists when you're working with them and, and give them freedom to, 
to explore the world that they're that they're creating as well as, as well as you right so yeah i totally totally agree and like I, i'm i'm the same i, I kind of like uh, i try and be as loose as i can with the panel descriptions i do full script but i am yeah i'm kind of like more focused on kind of like allowing all of the artists you know like uh to kind of figure out like how to best sort of tell the story and i always kind of put like um like some blurb like in the script saying you know like this is basically this is what i was thinking it's basically just a suggestion if you've got something better let's go with that like you know mm -hmm. that's that's how i set it up but to speak to your point about the visuals i mean certainly like what i do when i write if i'm actually in the process of writing is that like i write the whole script out without putting any dialogue in so it's only oh, okay. only telling the story through through images so I'm always kind of thinking about like, how do I tell the story without any captions, any dialogue, any anything? And then once I've kind of got that figured out, I then go back to, to the start and then I'll sort of then add in the dialogue and um, any, you know, any prose oh, stuff after that point. Yeah, so I, that's just me, but I know I know other people do, <laughs> do it very yeah, differently. Yeah. Do you send that to the artist like before the dialogue is, is in input or? No, I don't actually. Um, I, I thought about it, but, but what usually happens is that like, and maybe this is why it's a really inefficient process and like it's better to do it other ways. But like what usually happens is that like I have this script, which is just all sort of panel descriptions only. Uh, obviously, they're connecting, you know, connect the connecting tissue is still there. So we're kind of transitioning from one like image to another image and we can, we're building. But when I start putting in words, sometimes it changes the, the feel of the panel. Mm -hmm. So what I then have to do is then figure out like, OK, like does this is this image actually then the right image? Yeah, because I'm the, the words the words feel right, but maybe the image feels wrong, or maybe it needs to be broken up into two panels, or maybe I don't need that panel kind of thing. So it does it does tend to change once I start putting uh, putting the, the the words down. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's why it takes a little bit longer, but it also means that the two scripts would be very different. Uh, what if what if, if I just sent the artist just like the purely the arts art script, it would be different from what I would then right, subsequently right. create. And something uh, <clears throat> that always interests me when it comes to writing is like the sound effects. Uh, I mean, your book doesn't have too many sound effects. It's not like a very like super noisy book, but there are, there are sound effects. How do you go about like inserting sound effects or even like creating sound? Like, so you have the, the gun in yours that goes like womp, womp, womp. Like yeah. how, <laughs> like what were you envisioning when, when something like that came out or you know, do you do you sit around just making noises and stuff? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I actually do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, again, I think that's a great question. I think it, it, this is, I mean, obviously, I, I was lucky that I had the Lucas Catoni uh, letter in my book. Uh, Lucas is a, a fabulous letterer, and he brings all of that kind of skill, and he makes that, that sound effect work. In my head, I was kind of thinking about you know, I was thinking, it was kind of weird. I was actually thinking about like some weird old show I'd seen with like Jesse the Body Ventura. Uh, <laughs> and like he was, uh, I don't know if you remember it, like there was this thing like he was investigating stuff and he was, I did this whole uh, episode about DARPA. And um, I remember there was like him standing in this, this uh, ballroom kind of, and there was like a guy who had this kind of like sonic gun and was able to speak to Jesse Ventura, like in the midst of this, chaotic party using this confined kind of like acoustic device mm, yeah. and I was thinking about that like with my with this 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 weapon that like we had and it was kind of like what would that sound be <laughs> yeah. like if it's an acoustic weapon and it kind of of course it wouldn't be like a womp womp sound but that's what for some reason that was the, the thing that kept coming back to me I was 
experimenting with different sands, but it, that was the one that kind of just felt right. But then obviously rendering that on the page, like just putting it in the script, it's easy, like womp womp, but that's what it sounds like. <laughs> but but uh, I mean, that can be terrible. I think Lucas kind of really sort of, he really sort of nailed what that effect was and kind of shaped it to kind of like make it really, really work. But yeah, yeah, it looks but, really good. Yeah, I mean, it, it looks great. But I think the same for you. I mean, you you, you have a lot of like, you know, uh, uh, you know, it's mech fighting. So there's lots of sound effects, lots of booms, uh, yeah. uh, stuff like that. And each of them is different, you know. And so did you have the same process? Like, how did you sort of solidify yeah, like, your, so your, your notion? Pretty much all the sound effects get added um, once the art is done. And then I'll go through the script. Uh, I'll go through the art and uh, and just be like, all right, does this need sound? Does this need sound? Um, and then, and then, yeah, then I'll sit around for five minutes, just like making noises. I'm like, okay, well, how would you spell that? <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? I'd be like, all right, the, like you're shooting out little rockets and it's like, what does that sound like? I don't know. Um, so, so that was like pretty tough or even like trying to emphasize like a big explosion versus a small explosion. It's like, do you use a kaboom or do you just use a boom? Like, what do you do? I don't know. So, so that, that did take a long time. The, the sound effects. So the sound effects were like the last thing to do. Sometimes I, I kind of, because um, I was playing the letterist like per page and sometimes there'd be a page that didn't have any dialogue on it. And then I had one sound effect and I was like, wow, well, is it worth paying the money for the, for the page just for this one sound effect? And the answer was usually yes. Cause you know, I mean, the, the letterist is so good. He deserves like, you know, whatever, whatever he gets. So uh, I was like, I was happy to pay it. But at the same time too, you know, I didn't want to like, go broke making this so i'm like trying to figure out you know is the sound effect worth it is it not so i'm sure i, I like took some out but um yeah that was like uh that was the sound effects was is definitely the last thing that i consider uh once yeah. everything's done because like there's books like uh was it batman year 100 by paul pope where it's like the noisiest book i've ever seen in my life like there's there's so much noise going on and uh it, it's so cool but it's it's just so hard to to make it and, and to make it like not cheesy you know what i mean yeah, if you if yeah. you make it like batman 66 where it's like you know kapow and all that it's, it's easy to just be like yeah this is pretty cheesy but if you can have if you do sound right you can make it really really work you know what i mean yeah and i struggle with that too because sometimes it's kind of like you don't know when you need to put sound in and when you need to leave it out right mm -hmm. so it's kind of like it depends on the the, the effects you're going for um and so I, I mean, I agreed with your process. Like that's kind of like you know, sound effects are the last thing that I, I do. Um, we just step back though a little bit. Like, do you do like a lettering draft specifically? Like, you know, after you after you get the art back, do you then go go back into the script and do like a new draft of the script based oh. on the art, or 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 not? Yeah, hundred percent. So once the art's completely done, and before I send it to the letterist, I'll uh, I'll go through it again and, and sometimes uh, tweak things. Um, and especially like if I see the final page and I'm like, well, you know, I don't really think dialogue is necessary here or I'll take it out. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's super important, uh, to figure out. Or sometimes if it's not as clear, I'll like add something. Um, like I know at the very end of issue two, when Willow comes out of the, the water, uh, that specifically didn't have any dialogue. And I was like, well, people aren't going to know who the hell this person is. <laughs> so so then I was like, okay, I'll, I'll put in a, like, you know, a little, a little text of, you know, them saying, saying that person's name. And then, so, so that, that works out pretty good uh, because, you know, and, and also too, it's a, it's a good time to edit your work as well. You know what I mean? 
because yeah. I, I don't do too many edits. Like I'll write a script and I'll probably go over it a couple of times and then send it to the artist. Um, so then it's really good, you know, a couple of months later to be able to look at it again and be like, okay, is this working still and, and go from there, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You do a lot and of so, edits on yours? I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I do because I'm, I'm a neurotic writer, so I'm always assuming that whatever I've written is crap and I need to make it better. So I'm always, <laughs> oh, I'm always tinkering with it. I'm always tinkering with it at the last minute. But yeah, sometimes I, I think with a causal, the, the lettering drafts have actually been quite different to the the artist draft, which is which is unusual. Like for me, I usually have. The artist draft and the lettering draft actually end up being quite similar, but very cool. So they're actually quite different. And it's not uh, the, the art, like Evie's art is just, uh, so Evie Cantado was my artist and um, not my artist. He's, a, he's, a, he's, he's the artist for the book. He's, yeah. a, he's the, the co-creator of the book. And his art is just, he's uh, fabulous uh, and sort of really sort of brings new dimensions to the, the, the characters. But what I was discovering as I was looking at the art was it was like making me sort of really ask question, more questions about, the characters themselves you know seeing them sort of sort of fully rendered mm -hmm. and then I was kind of like well maybe maybe my my text here isn't really the strongest I need to sort of dig deeper even though I knew what the emotion that I was trying to go for was it was just was not not kind of landing so I ended up kind of you know actually rewriting a hell of a lot of the the, the caption boxes just because I wanted to go deeper just to kind of really sort of make sure I was using the art to kind of really sort of anchor the story mm -hmm. a little better yeah do you find that the character voices changed as you got like specifically after seeing issue one and seeing how the words kind of form within the characters mouths and then issue two you're like okay well maybe they actually don't talk like this they talk like that yeah uh, yeah i mean i i think for me it's, it was a little easier in some ways because what, what i did was like the first issue kind of focuses on one of the characters then the second issue kind of focuses more on one of the other characters yeah. so although like in my head i kind of like felt I knew that the two voices were distinct. You didn't really see them together in like issue one in any sort of, in any way that you would really sort of have to worry about like what was going to happen with issue two in terms of like how they flowed. So I kind of felt like I designed it that way um, to avoid that problem. But yeah, in the past, I've, I, I, that's been a thing where like you, you kind of suddenly realize like, oh, they wouldn't, they wouldn't really speak that way mm -hmm. after you've written the first issue. You know? So <laughs> I, um, so yeah, I've had that. What about you? Do you have, have you have you seen that uh, in your own work? Yeah, I definitely think that the voices developed a little bit more uh, once I I saw issue one. So after that, I was like really kind of conscious, and and just looking at the art too, I was conscious of of especially like the way the artist uh, Daniele Aquilanti, who I worked with, he the way the way he did expressions and stuff. So by understanding the way he draws expressions, I was able to kind of cater my my writing and my dialogue to like what I think his strengths are so yeah. it did kind of kind of morph that way yeah and so with with Danielli's work I mean like his work is 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 really nice like his lines are like really really clean and like uh, I love his way like he does frame things like in a really cool way like I really like that uh how did you end up working with him how did you find him like what was it that kind of appealed to you about his style that kind of you knew that would be right for the story um, so with, with Undergrowth, I found the artist on, uh, on Reddit, actually. So our comic book collabs, shout outs to them. Uh, there's a ton of great artists on, on Reddit. And uh, so he posted that he was looking for work. Uh, I saw his work and I was like, man, this is awesome. I didn't necessarily think about Undergrowth specifically because uh, I was picturing something uh, more manga-ish. 
But um, but after talking to him and seeing like his action stuff, I was like, you know, that could work. And I'm glad it did it because he, oh my God, he's like the best artist. He was so consistent through a global pandemic. He was consistent, like yeah. <laughs> three pages a week. It was crazy. I was like, this, this man's a machine. So he was like the best guy I ever worked with. And yeah, so it was all just through Reddit and uh, going online. And that's what I love about modern technology. You can contact anybody online. And then yeah. even other people from my other projects, they're all through like Instagram and, and Reddit and stuff. So yeah, it's great. How about you? How have you found your artists? Uh, I mean, actually, I mean, in a similar way, I'm, I'm just curious because like, you know, when you said that you were kind of thinking about manga style, it's kind of interesting because like as I was reading it, that's what I was, mm-hmm. that's kind of like what I was thinking too. And it's kind of, uh, the art's great. And I think it actually really works uh, for, for your book. For me, it's kind of like, I really needed to know what the style was. So like, I was kind of really sort of trying to hone like, what, what is it that I want? And then kind of trying to find an artist who could do that. And I think that's that that seemed to be the difference. Like I specifically was looking for someone who could do these kind of like nicely sort of realist, semi-realistic, but action-driven kind of like, you know, that good mm-hmm. pacing and their sequentials uh, and kind of make it sort of feel really vibrant and kind of, you know, because I wanted, my book's like ultimately it's like a crime thriller. So kind of that's what I was really sort of looking for someone who could do that. So once I kind of solidified that, I was then going through portfolios and then uh, trying to find somebody who had that, in in their in, in their portfolio who was then also available uh because right. that's the thing so many artists are kind of busy or you know maybe maybe they just don't want to work with me and they're just kind of like oh i'm sorry <laughs> oh, i'm no. really busy yeah yeah <laughs> well lots of work coming up sorry um but <laughs> evie it was like i found him through actually through a facebook group uh oh, okay. facebook facebook is the devil i know but uh <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, yeah i found him through, through one of those groups and he was, uh, you know, uh, generous with his time and, and really able to accommodate me on and that. So, yeah. Um, so when you yeah. say you're building portfolios, did you find them all online, or was it like a combination of in person, online? I mean, it was really all online because, I mean, I, I didn't look at Reddit. I mean, so that's an interesting one that I've not used before. But certainly, like Instagram, I kind of like is it my first port of call these days to kind of mm-hmm. just look to see what people are posting. Uh, so I was kind of going through there first and then, you know, um, Facebook groups and kind of still then going through sort of deviant art and those kind of places too. But I think, you know, there's so many great artists and like so many artists that can do multiple styles. So it's kind of, you know, it's, it's really sort of, as a, as a writer, there's just so many choices with people who you could sort of work with. It's kind of, right, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. And technology has allowed us to, to do that. I mean, during the pandemic, it was obviously a lot harder to kind of, meet face to face with people so even yeah. at cons we had a we had a con in february 2020 so just before everything got shut down and you, you know you meet people you see stuff there but then over the over the pandemic we've kind of just fallen out of touch with, with <laughs> yeah, those yeah. folks you know so yeah it's just, just yeah but it's uh for, yeah for me i always kind of start from a place though where i'm kind of really sort of trying to look for a style uh, that that sort of fits the story mm. And that's how I approach it. But so yours is interesting. I haven't, I haven't thought of Reddit. I think we'll have to. Have yeah, to yeah, check it out. There's lots of uh, lots of cool subreddits where people are looking for work, and uh, you know, it's really great. Yeah, yeah. Talking about sort of like the indie comics uh, stuff, I kind of wanted to go on to like you know marketing and promotion because mm-hmm. as an indie creator, this is you know another one of the hats you have to wear. Uh, you've made a book, which is which is in itself like, like a huge accomplishment because it's yeah. hard to do, right? It's hard to do, and then you've made eight books, you know, like okay, which is even harder. It's a whole, it's a whole <laughs> series, and it's but then it's like, what do you do? Like, how do you get the word out? Like, how do you promote the book? Because it's 
comics are already kind of hard to find in many places anyway, right? Like, uh, and then yeah. if you go online, you know, you're fighting algorithms and all this stuff constantly that want to suppress your like independent content and kind of promote like yeah, other stuff. Yeah. So, so how have you approached that that aspect of it? I mean, it's it's definitely changed over time. Like when I first started back in 2013, I was a I was a young go getter, and I was like, yeah, let's, let's you know, let's promote our stuff and. I would I'd, like Comic Cons. I'd literally stand in front of my table and you know just pitch at everyone who walked by, and I'd you know shove my book in people's hand. And I'd be like, "Read this book," and they'd love it. And then people were like, "Whoa!" And, <laughs> but you know, it worked, and I, I would sell stuff. But you know, as I got older, I was like, "Man, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to. I don't want to sit there and constantly be bugging people to buy my stuff. Like, I want my work to stand out on its own and, and really have people." be interested in, in what I'm, I'm selling um, because it's good. So, so I definitely chilled out after a while for marketing um, and, you know, I'm, I'm definitely selling less books, but I feel better about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, and then with the pandemic, I was like, well, I don't, I don't feel comfortable uh, marketing to people and asking people to buy my books when, you know, half the world is out of work and, no one is doing anything and people are dying. So it really put a bummer on all my marketing stuff. And, and I, for that reason, undergrowth, the self-published stuff hasn't really sold a lot. Like I've printed a hundred of each book and that's it, you know, and I haven't, I haven't really sold too much of it, but uh, everyone who does read it thinks it's good. So, I mean, that's, that's good, but yeah, it's it's (laughs) tough, right? Like you don't, you want to market your stuff. You want people to buy it, but you also don't want to be like a douche about it. So I haven't found a a good kind of balance between it. And uh, I'm lucky enough now that I'm in a, in a financial spot where I I don't have to like, you know, print runs aren't, aren't based on how many I can sell and stuff. So, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable to do that, but when it comes to marketing, I'm complete garbage at it. I, I can't, I can't do it. And I'm relying on, you know, I'm relying on it just being good and word of mouth. And uh, during the pandemic, I don't think that really worked out too well. But um, it's tough. I don't know. How are you? You you're doing it. You did a Kickstarter for number one, right? Yeah, yeah, I did, I did, and I, I'm doing a Kickstarter for for number two as well. But uh, you know, that's good. Kickstarter kind of gets you to a community, um, uh, which is great, which is online who are, who are buying books, and I think that's great because it's really about you know getting pre-orders to kind of do mm-hmm. a print run. But it's the same. I face the same issues that you do. I mean, obviously, cons basically stopped uh, during the pandemic, so you know you didn't have that uh, as an option. Then it's basically online. So you know, like a lot of people, I set up like an online store. And so I've been able to kind of, you know, sell books through the store, but I, I don't really know how to promote it without spending a ton of money because, you know, it doesn't get ranked mm-hmm. high in any of the algorithms. Like, you know, Google, Google index, for example, is kind of like pushes it low because it's like, I'm not spending money. So it's like, I don't know how to get people to A, go to my store in the first place and then B, then you have to convince right. them to buy something. So I, I'm just, I think that's the thing that like, I do wonder like for indie creators, whether like there's some way we can kind of get some education I, obviously this kind of discussion i think is helpful to kind of like sort of build on things that that, that could work and, and and could be useful mm-hmm. but get some education about marketing because your books honestly your book's great and yeah, like it you know the fact that it's great like should be enough in an ideal right? world it should be enough for it to float up but 
it's not a, it's not a the world is is a, is a as, you're, as you listen to me the world is a very dark and like evil place you know so it's like uh good stuff doesn't always does, doesn't doesn't always rise to the top it doesn't yeah, always yeah. become visible and people that i think you know coupled with the you know especially on social media people's attention spans are very limited so unless it's it's immediately in their face they don't want to go hunting for it you know? i think something that people kind of overlook is what a traditional publisher can bring to to the table so you look at this kickstarter that's going on right now with that guy um brandon sanders he's making like 25 million on kickstarter it's insane he's made a ton of money and people are like whoa he's in he's self-publishing his book it is amazing but people don't realize that well they do realize because he's a published author but he's had you know 10 years of working with uh, a big name science fiction publisher fantasy publishers who are out there promoting him and he he just kind of benefits from that and now he's like well i'm gonna do my own thing and he's got this built-in audience that has been built over 10 years to sell his book you know what i mean and yeah. so now now he's sitting pretty on like 25 million dollars and people don't realize how long it takes to actually be successful in self-promoting yourself right you look yeah. at someone it, for a comic example like someone like chip sadarsky he's been doing comics for 10 years and then all of a sudden he does sex criminals and, and blows up and now now any publisher would would crawl over gravel to get to him to, to work on their books right so and then he's doing you know his Substack stuff who that's i'd imagine making a lot of money i don't know but yeah it, it really you really need to start with a public uh, like a promotional team in order to be successful as an indie creator which which sucks but <laughs> i feel like that's that's what you need to do right yeah, it's almost a paradox, though, in some ways that like you have to, you have to, you know, because even like indie publishers uh, are inundated with submissions. So it's kind of like they have to, they have to pick. And so you could still have a great pitch or a great book, just does still doesn't get selected. And then you're kind of in the same situation. And so, yeah, like I think I, I agree. I mean, we've seen a lot of, um, with a lot of creators for the big two in particular recently kind of move into Substack with these kind of deals to do their own indie books. And they're basically taking that, they built a brand and they're sort of using that brand to kind of like uh, build their indie career. But it's kind of like, how does one as an, an indie creator, like how do you get, how do you build it up to get to, to, to build your brand? Like it's, it's really tough. Right? Yeah. It's, it's so hard. It's like um, sometimes uh, like I had a friend who's in the pottery world and you know, the pottery people sometimes are like, Oh yeah, you know, I do pottery full time. But then they have a spouse who's making, you know, like six figures and you're like, okay, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, that doesn't really. So it's the same thing with indie creators, right? Like you, you you need this kind of support of this person or this entity, this publishing group to to push you forward so that you can focus on what you do, right? So it's I don't know. I I I I love indie publishing, I love self-publishing, but I realize that there's limits to it. I don't think you can reach these in, uh, levels that some of these indie creators are reaching uh, unless you get a publisher behind you or you're spending lots of money on getting a promotion team behind you. You know what I mean? And who's, who's yeah. got that kind of money on it? Yeah, that's true. I, I do wonder, though, because I, I look at like some of the folks who've been in the past have built up huge followings on Tumblr uh, and, you know, like on Webtoons like now they're telling very specific kind of stories mm. so that like they're not the stories I'm telling for example so that I do wonder like is there uh, is there something about you know if you're trying to tell indie like sort of crime or like something very specific that isn't kind of like a Tumblr kind of friendly kind of story it, it, 
is that is that like a split that we see like in the world that was these books are kind of not necessarily sort of web friendly in that sense whereas you know webtoon stuff is kind of like it is different but it is kind of like uh very mm-hmm. specific in in tone and storytelling style like you know perhaps that's you know a question that like we have to ask ourselves about like maybe during doing that audience kind of segmentation who is the audience for our books mm-hmm. um and i think maybe maybe that's kind of what i'm taking from this conversation is kind of it's not enough to kind of create a book and kind of have a vague sense of who it's for like but you, we have to know more specifically who we're trying to get that book to and maybe that's kind of like what we need to think about more as indie creators about like find once you know who that audience is and where they live then it makes it a bit easier to kind of use those channels maybe um the reason why I'm asking this is obviously just because I'm interested in it, but like I also know, like especially in Canada, we do have like a vibrant kind of like arts funding uh, sector. Mm-hmm. But what I have found, and I don't know if you found this, but kind of like I, I do find that comics isn't necessarily treated the same as other art forms. Like prose seems to be treated more seriously than comic writing, and then also for some reason we fund publishers, but we won't fund comic creators. And I just find it a bit of a weird one. I mean, like publishers, like, you know, for the most part are private sector entities that are making money and yet we're funding them, but we're not funding people who write stuff. Uh, and I, I don't know if that's something you've experienced or, or not. Or... Yeah, um, to be honest, I've never really looked at um, government funding too much, like grants and stuff, just because uh, it's so much paperwork and I'm so like, <laughs> yeah. lazy. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's definitely something. And I think... I think in Canada it's great that they're doing that, but yeah, I think you're right that there's like they could probably be funding the individual a little bit better than than they are these corporations. That's something that they're gonna have to fix on their end, I guess, <laughs> and like realize that comics are the best medium to work in, and that people should be funding that. Yeah. Uh, so, do, why do you why do you think that comics are the best medium to work in? It's it's the best visual medium, I think, because you can you can really kind of hone your visuals. And it's the best writing medium because it, it has visuals attached to it. And uh, and then the collaboration. I mean, obviously, like, not every comic is a collaboration. But, you know, the ones that are, are like, fantastic. And you can get some really cool teams, you know, like Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. Like, this can't get better than that, man. Well, yeah, you probably could. I, they're not my favorite, but <laughs> they're pretty good. They, they're, but they're a pretty dynamic duo. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, uh, they, they really shout it out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree. I do like... Um, it is a collaborative uh, art form and I think everybody brings something different to the table, which is, which is mm-hmm. really great. And I kind of like the way that comics can kind of tell multiple stories kind of like in the same page, which is kind of like really fascinating to me. Like I, I found it hard. I, I made a short film a few years ago where like the visual component of the film uh, was kind of completely separate from the rest of the film the audio was actually the voice like i actually did the audio as kind of like a director's commentary voiceover so it's kind of like a director and a writer kind of watching the film like in post kind of arguing about about the film and i it was trying to tell two stories at once and like i got rejected from like pretty much every film festival like i sent it to and 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 i think it's just like one of those things that comics can do really well like we can tell the kind of like these layered stories really Mm -hmm. well and the other thing that like I really like about it um, is obviously the fact that you can just go and do it. it like yeah, it's kind of yeah. it's like being in a band, a punk band, kind of like you you just go and find some friends, you make something, you put it out. I don't need permission. Like I don't even need any money. Like if I if I yeah. you know I can just make something and do it. And I think everything else seems to have a lot of gatekeepers mm-hmm. that want to tell you you can't do it. And I think comics is kind of full of people who say like yeah, just go and do it. 
I think that's yeah. the difference. Yeah, I love it. And that's why the comic community is full of weirdos because <laughs> it, it, it brings these people in who are like, oh, I can just do whatever I want. It's cool, man. You know, and so it's, I really love seeing uh, seeing that community thrive like that. Yeah, I, I, me too. And I think it's great. And I, and I think the Canadian community, like I think th- there's very different things going on. I mean, you're, you're like, you're in Toronto. Uh, is mm-hmm. that right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's very different scenes going on. Like, I know like Montreal's got a, like, like a specific scene. Our mm-hmm. East has got a scene. I know in the prairies, there's, there's different things going on. I do sort of like wonder like how we can kind of like get together more often because I mean, it's such a big country and it's like, yeah, it's yeah. just not easy to get around, but using using the tools that we talked about a little bit today like you know it should be easier for us to kind of connect these scenes a little bit better to kind of really sort of learn from each other and and, and collaborate sort of with different styles and different ideas that are coming from different different places yeah i let's start something man let's start a trans canada comic jam i don't know like, yeah yeah so i mean i mean obviously not for us because i mean we're writers so it'd be pretty uh, <laughs> i don't know how interesting that would be because my art is terrible but uh oh, no. but yeah i mean but i mean something like that that would be cool um okay i guess I, we, we're coming to an end but uh ricky can i just ask like um yeah. you know, what's next for you uh you finished undergrowth you kind of on to the next project uh what's coming up yeah, that's the most stressful question I've ever been asked in my life. Because it's like, because, you know, it's like, you know, the book is done and you're like, oh, sweet. But then also now you have to like produce more and you have to be like, all right, well, what is the next project? So I'm, uh, I, I've contacted other artists and I'm working with other artists on, on different projects, but nothing concrete yet. Um, I'm still kind of like in the, in the development phase. And like also too, like you just, you want it to be as good as your previous project. So you get worried that, you know, is it as good? Am I, am I, did, was that a one-time thing? I don't know. So, so I'm working on stuff, but it's slow going. And uh, it's mainly because I'm worried that it's going to be trash, but I'm sure it'll be fine. I don't know. How about you? Are you uh, working on, I guess you have uh, issue three coming out, but like other projects as well? Yeah, I mean, I, so I'm still struggling with the imposter syndrome yeah. uh, as well. I mean, that's the thing, like you, mostly I just feel that like what I'm turning out it's not very good so it's yeah, kind of like you're always kind of like struggling with that but yeah like once a calls I've got like a couple of I've got a couple of shorts that I've been working on uh, that I'm trying to find homes for and I'm working on this idea like I, I, it's kind of it's loosely like based on kind of like this notion of like using nostalgia as a weapon um, we're kind of on this big nostalgia kick right now. Like, you know, mm-hmm. as it comes, keeps coming back around and I was kind of like, I, I've got this story that I've written, which kind of like basically weaponizes it. And I don't know, that's the thing. It's like, I don't know whether this is a story that like I needs to be told <laughs> or whether it's just a cool idea, you know? And so that's what I'm struggling with right now. It's kind of like, cool ideas how to, told, man. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, is it, I, as a, I mean, as a, as a creator too, I mean, that's the thing, like, you know, you have these ideas, and then you start kicking them around and then they sort of don't go anywhere. Yeah. Well, something I struggle with a lot is like, is it worth telling this story? Like, is there enough meat on it to be like, you know, so where people are like, wow, this is so deep. And so like, well, I'm learning so much about my life, but not every story needs to be like that. You know, it's like sometimes yeah. people want to read a story of a guy punching another guy and then they go to jail. Like that's perfectly valid too. You know, you don't need to have, you know these like deep themes behind it you know sometimes people just want to see cool stuff happen so I, I i mean i get it i get where you're coming from but at the same time like you just gotta do what's fun too you know you gotta you don't have to think of uh really deep introverted stories all the time 
Oh, th thanks, Ricky. Uh, that's actually <laughs> that's lifted lifted a burden from me. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> I'll just have like it'll just be my next book will basically be like shit blowing up and people being yeah. punched in the face. Why not? So, yeah, uh, do it. Yeah. Thank you to Ricky and John for joining us for this discussion. Ricky's work can be found at limepressonline.com, and he can be found on Twitter at kingkrule and Instagram at king.k.rule. John's work can be found at arbutusfilms.com, and Acausal 2 can be found now on Kickstarter. I'll include the link in the podcast episode description. Special thanks to Matt Campbell for composing our music, and Jeff Harmatz for designing our logo. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Creators on Comics podcast podcast.